Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I couldn't believe my ears when I heard about the discovery of a goblin fetus in Mexico. The news had spread like wildfire on the Internet, with people from all over the world debating the identity of the freaky find. As a journalist, I couldn't resist the urge to investigate. I traveled to Santa Maria Regla, where the alleged orkling was found, to get to the bottom of the mystery. The mummified corpse was reportedly unearthed during construction work on a derelict warehouse. The photos I saw showed a small body with pointy ears, a large nose, gnarled claw-tipped hands and feet, and no identifiable gender. It looked like something straight out of Lord of the Rings. The municipal mayor in town, Francisco Mayoral Flores, quickly labeled the remains a goblin or a naggal, a Mesoamerican mythical creature that can transform into an animal. He believed that the discovery was relevant due to the cultural and social demand to give it importance. 
However, not everyone was convinced by Flores' explanation. Social media was abuzz with skepticism, with some people suggesting that it was a malformed fetus of a cat or dog. Doctors and vets were even called in to confirm the identity of the creature. As I visited the Museo de los Duendes, also known as the Goblin Museum, where the goblin baby was currently on display, I couldn't help but feel a sense of unease. The small mummified body looked eerie and out of place in the glass case. Despite the controversy surrounding the discovery, it was clear that the people in Santa Maria, Regla, took their mythology seriously. As I left the museum, I wondered if there was more to this story than just a simple case of mistaken identity. The crisp autumn air filled me with excitement as my four friends and I gathered around a roaring campfire outside the hunter's lodge. This remote cabin was nestled deep within the heart of a dense forest, and it held a century, old history cloaked in mystery. We had rented it for a week of hunting and relaxation, but we had no inkling that our decision to spend a week at this secluded outpost would lead to a terrifying encounter with the unknown. The group consisted of James, Sarah, Mike, Lisa, and myself, Daniel. We had been planning this trip for months, eagerly anticipating the chance to escape the hustle and bustle of city life and trade our smartphones for rifles and hiking boots. The lodge, despite its eerie past, offered the perfect escape from the daily grind. As the days went by, we settled into the lodge, swapping stories by the fire and savoring the simple pleasures of life away from civilization. However, as night descended upon us, an unsettling feeling began to creep over our group. The wind whispered through the trees in an eerie, ghostly chorus, and the old lodge creaked and groaned as if it harbored its own secrets. On the third night, we were jolted awake by a faint, mournful howling in the distance. It was unlike any animal we had ever encountered, sending shivers down our spines and making sleep impossible. We tried to dismiss it as a trick of the wind and attempted to resume our slumber. The following evening, as we gathered around the fireplace, we heard something that chilled us to the bone, a low guttural growl emanating from just beyond the lodge's walls. James, known for his fearlessness, grabbed a flashlight and cautiously peered out the window. My blood turned to ice as I watched him shine the light into the darkness. There, right outside the window, was a beast. I could see spittle running down its face, and its eyes were fixed on James. It stood on its hind legs, its fur a matted blend of cream, red, and brown. Its face was wolf-like, with a snout and sharp teeth, but apart from that snout, its facial features were eerily human. Its jawbones were high, and the structure around its eyes and the eyes themselves were shockingly human-esque. Its eyes, I believed, were a chilling shade of yellow. James stumbled back from the window, his heart pounding, and relayed what he had seen to us. Panic began to set in as we huddled together, wondering what kind of creature could lurk just outside our lodge. Our questions remained unanswered, and we were overwhelmed by a sense of dread. The night grew colder and the growling continued. Then a more terrifying sound reached our ears. The scratching of claws at the door. The creature was trying to get inside and fear quickly turned to desperation. As we realized we were trapped, 
That's when Daniel, the most level-headed among us, proposed a dangerous plan. He suggested that we escape through the back door and set explosives inside the cabin. The idea was to lure the creature inside and then detonate the explosives from a safe distance. It was a risky plan, but we had no other choice. With trembling hands, we prepared for our escape. We cautiously opened the back door and crept out, all while hearing the front door splintering under the creature's assault. Panic set in as we sprinted into the woods, barely escaping the pursuing horror. Taking cover behind the tree as we watched in terror as the creature entered the cabin. Lisa, tears streaming down her face, clicked the remote detonator, and the explosion lit up the night sky. The cabin erupted in flames, and the force of the blast sent shockwaves through the forest. When the smoke cleared, there was no sign of the creature. The lodge had been reduced to smoldering ruins. Our ordeal was over but the fear and the memory of those piercing yellow eyes would haunt us for the rest of our lives. As we made our way back to civilization, we vowed never to speak of the horrors we had encountered. To this day, we maintain that it was a true story, a tale of terror that unfolded in the dark depths of the wilderness, a story of a remote hunting lodge with a history best left buried in the past, The very first time I went deer hunting was back in 2015 in West Kentucky and went on my then-girlfriend, current wife's, family land on the opening day of rifle season. I got put in one of their stands on the edge of a swamp that was only about 100 yards in the woods with soybean field out front. The stand faces into the woods and about 300 feet from the stand turns into public TVA ground. The TV aground is accessible, but you'd have to either trespass or walk through about two miles of thick swamp to get back to where we were. I get dropped off to the stand and remember taking in the 25-degree pitch-black morning and waiting in the dark for things to lighten up. Then I see a blue light walking through the woods. As it got closer, I see an old man with a white beard wearing red and black flannel and a stormy cromer walking down the trail that leads to him past this stand, with an old school lantern held out at arm's length. He walked past my stand, never looked up at me, and walked onto the TVA and disappeared. I got a do that morning and never have figured out where that guy came from. I was there until about 12.30 or so, and never saw him walk back out either. This is a story I heard a few years ago from my flatmate at the time. I won't be able to elaborate on details, but will try to recall from my memory as best as I can. Happened in Hungary. T.S. English is not mine, nor his first language. So sorry if there are discrepancies in government institutions or anything else. His dad was a hunter, so took him hunting quite a lot. And if memory serves me, right dad was employed by something like National Guard, so not someone who's easily scared. Anyway, this one night they are out, flatmate around ten at the time, and camped in the meadow near forest, early autumn, so not too cold. At some point while having dinner, they heard rustling in the nearby woods, not surprising a lot of wildlife around. Can't recall the in-between. But eventually they went to investigate. 
They spotted a wild boar, and Dad was about to take a shot when something large rose up on their right. It was dark, so they could not see much. But they were also too close to the thing, around 300 meters max. Grass was not too tall, so it appeared that it was either crouching without moving or laying, but once it rose, it was clearly walking on two feet. But it wasn't not a human. Dark fur, clearly canine features and glowing eyes. It looked them over and just walked away. They were frozen in place, and my flatmate said he'd never been so scared in his life. They took a running, jumped into the car, and drove away. His dad had another sighting of something similar while on patrol. But I don't remember that story well, and unfortunately haven't bumped into the guy since. Story fascinated me, but I also remember that while telling this, he was scared and guarded. This is not much at all, but hope someone finds this interesting. Believe it or not, I had a close encounter with what I can only describe as a leprechaun when I was a kid. I was out in the pasture, just enjoying a leisurely day, playing around and soaking in the peacefulness of the setting sun. As it began to set, I decided it was time to head back home. As I started up the hill towards the house, something caught my eye. There was a small leprechaun, like being sitting on the ground. I squinted, trying to make out the details in the dimming light, but it was undeniable. There was a little man, just sitting there on the ground. I stood there, frozen, simply staring at him. My mind was racing, trying to comprehend what my eyes were seeing. I was caught in this strange limbo between disbelief and fear, when suddenly my survival instincts kicked in. I turned and sprinted back to the house faster than I ever had before. The following day, curiosity got the better of me, and I ventured back out to the spot where I'd seen the peculiar figure. Sure enough, the grass was all flattened where the little man had been sitting, a silent testimony to the previous day's encounter. I have to clarify that his clothes weren't the stereotypical bright green you'd associate with leprechaun. However, using the term, leprechaun was the easiest way to describe the being I saw. He was a small figure, sporting a beard and earth, toned clothes, and even had a small pointy hat. That encounter remains one of the most surreal experiences of my life. I've had experiences that I can only attribute to gnomes, or at least some otherworldly beings. It all began with a peculiar scream that I caught on camera. While my friend and I were walking, we didn't hear the scream with our ears. But when I reviewed the footage later, it was unmistakably there. We were in an isolated area. No animals or electronic devices that could have made that noise. The scream was unnaturally loud, something we should have heard if it was made by any known living creature. It left me with the unnerving thought that my camera had somehow captured the voice or an ep of a creature from another dimension, perhaps a duan, or gnome, or some other fake creature. The place where I recorded the scream was a secluded, fenced, off-garden area, known for its old trees. After that recording, strange occurrences started to unfold in my home. Invisible entities seemed to be obstructing my movements, preventing me from placing things on tables. 
It was uncanny, and I couldn't shake the feeling that the Duendes had somehow followed me home. Months later, while I was out cycling, I captured a voice calling my name. Just like the scream, it was only audible when I reviewed the footage. I was convinced that the gnomes must have learned my name during their pranks at my home. After all, no one in the city knew my name, and there was no one around who could have called out to me. The odd experiences continued, and I've recorded other inexplicable voices, like a disembodied voice saying, Mommy, in the same garden where I'd caught the initial scream. I also captured a mysterious red orb hovering in the same area. The experiences were unnerving, yet fascinating. I couldn't help but continue exploring, driven by the curiosity of what I might encounter next. In my encounters with these other dimensional beings, I am Red Hawk, a proud warrior of Apache tribe. I have always defended my people and our land, and now faced with a threat like none we have ever known. I must do so once again. The signs were all there. The mangled carcasses of animals littering our once peaceful hunting grounds. No ordinary beast could have done this, and our elders whispered of an ancient legend, a creature that had not been seen for generations. As the tribe's most skilled hunter and fighter, it was my duty to find this monster and put an end to its reign of terror. I ventured deep into the forest, following the trail of destruction left by the unknown cryptid. The tracks were enormous, unlike anything I had ever seen. Fear gripped my heart, but I knew I had to be brave for the sake of my people. I continued my pursuit, fueled by determination and the hope that I could save my tribe from this horrifying menace. After days of tracking the creature, I finally caught sight of it. The beast was massive, with fearsome claws and teeth that could tear through flesh and bone with ease. Its eyes burned with an eerie, unnatural light. It was clear that this was no ordinary animal, but a monster born of darkness and nightmare. We engaged in a fierce battle, our deadly dance taking us through the forest and across treacherous ravines. Despite my best efforts, the creature's strength and speed were unparalleled. It inflicted terrible wounds upon me, but I fought on, refusing to give in. I knew that the fate of my tribe rested on my shoulders. As our struggle continued, I realized that I would not be able to defeat the creature through brute force alone. In a final desperate act, I decided to lure it towards a steep cliff, knowing that the fall would either kill or gravely injure the cryptid. With my last remaining strength, I charged at the monster, pushing us both over the edge. We plummeted towards the ground, the creature's terrible cries echoing through the air. As we hit the earth, I felt my own bones shatter, my lifeblood seeping into the soil. The cryptid lay nearby, crippled and defeated, its furious eyes now dimmed with pain and fear. As I lay dying, I knew that I had fulfilled my duty as a warrior. I had protected my people and driven the creature away, even at the cost of my own life. The legend of Red Hawk would live on, and my tribe would be safe, their future secured by the sacrifice I had made. My vision began to fade, the shadows of the forest closing in around me. I smiled, knowing that I had not failed my people. I had faced the unknown, and 
emerged victorious, and now I could finally find peace. I grew up in a small town near Wallowa Lake in Oregon, and I've always been fascinated by the stories of the Wallowa Lake monster, or Wally, as some locals call it. My grandfather used to tell me tales about the creature when I was a child, and I was always on the lookout for any signs of its existence whenever I visited the lake. One summer, when I was in my early twenties, I decided to go camping at Wallowa Lake with a group of friends. We had a great time hiking, swimming, and exploring the area, but I couldn't shake my fascination with the Wallowa Lake monster. I asked some of the locals if they had ever seen it, but most of them just shrugged it off as a silly legend. One night, while we were sitting around the campfire, one of my friends told a story about a fisherman who had claimed to have seen the Wallowa Lake monster while out on his boat. He described it as a hump-shaped creature about 20 feet long with rough, scaly skin and glowing red eyes. The fisherman had been so terrified that he never went back to the lake again. As we all sat around the fire listening to the story, I couldn't help but feel a sense of unease. What if the Wallowa Lake monster was real? What if it was watching us right now? The next day, I decided to rent a kayak and go out on the lake to see if I could spot anything unusual. As I paddled around the calm waters, I felt a sense of excitement and fear. What if I actually saw the monster? But as the sun began to set, and I still hadn't seen anything out of the ordinary, I began to feel disappointed. Maybe the Wallowa Lake monster was just a myth after all. Just as I was about to head back to shore, I heard a strange sound coming from the water behind me. It was a deep, guttural growl, unlike anything I had ever heard before. My heart raced as I turned my kayak around, and I couldn't believe what I saw. There, just a few feet away from me, was a hump-shaped creature with rough, scaly skin and glowing red eyes. It was easily twenty feet long and it looked just like the descriptions I had heard all my life. I was paralyzed with fear, but the creature didn't seem interested in me. It swam away quickly, disappearing into the depths of the lake. As I paddled back to shore, my mind was racing. I had finally seen the Wallowa Lake monster, and I couldn't believe it. But now that I'd seen it with my own eyes, I couldn't help but wonder what other secrets the lake was hiding. I was one of the 25 elite hunters invited to participate in a secret hunting competition on a private island organized by a mysterious and eccentric billionaire. The excitement was palpable as we arrived on the island, eager to test our skills and experience the thrill of the hunt. Little did we know the true nature of the challenge that awaited us. As we explored the island, we soon discovered that it was inhabited by unknown creatures with extraordinary abilities. These beasts were unlike anything we had ever seen, agile, cunning, and lethal. One by one, my fellow hunters began to fall, devoured by the monsters that roamed the island. It wasn't long before only five of us remained. Determined to survive and unravel the mystery of the island, I decided to investigate the true intentions of our enigmatic host. It wasn't long before I discovered that the billionaire was not only the mastermind behind the event, but also the creator of these creatures. 
He had engineered them as the ultimate hunting challenge, pitting us against his monstrous creations to satisfy his twisted sense of amusement. With this newfound knowledge, I decided to use my wits and understanding of the creature's abilities to defeat the billionaire and his abomination. I observed the predator's habits and patterns, formulating a plan to turn the tables on our tormentor. I set up a controlled fire in a specific area of the woods, carefully managing the blaze to ensure that it didn't spread uncontrollably. As the predators moved through their territory, they were drawn towards the fire by curiosity or the sounds of prey. Once the creatures were close enough, I used the fire as a barrier trapping them and forcing them to face me in a final confrontation. The fire disoriented the predators, and I took advantage of their confusion to drive them into a preset trap. As the creatures struggled in their confinement, I approached the billionaire who had been watching the events unfold from a distance. His eyes widened in fear and surprise as he realized that I had outsmarted him in his monstrous creation. Using the billionaire's own creations against him, I forced him to confront the reality of the terror he had unleashed on the island. As the creatures closed in on their creator, he finally understood the consequences of his actions. With the billionaire defeated, I managed to escape the island, leaving behind the horrors that had claimed the lives of my fellow hunters. I vowed never to forget their sacrifices and to share the cautionary tale of our experience. A chilling reminder of the dangers that can arise when human ambition and curiosity are left unchecked. I'm from a real small town in Florida called Wewahitska. It's in Gulf County, about 50 miles southwest of Tallahassee on the Panhandle. The area has lots of lakes and rivers. We lived on several acres in the middle of nowhere. We had dirt roads my whole childhood. At the time, we had a single wide trailer. Lots of people in our community were complaining about an upright creature terrorizing them at night and stealing livestock and pets. My parents were city folks that moved into the area before I was born and opened a business, so my parents told me it was just stories to scare us because we were outsiders. At the time when this happened, I was 14 years old, and I had a younger brother that was five years old. One night in October 2004, my dad and I were watching TV. My brother was in bed. My mom was in the kitchen. We had one bedroom, and I had to pass the kitchen in my brother's room to get to the bathroom. My brother was sitting up in bed, and he was crying. I tried to console him because I didn't want to get him in trouble for not sleeping. He whispered to me a man was looking in his window. I looked out the window, and to my horror, I see a pair of yellow glowing eyes watching us. So I grabbed my brother up. I knew my dad was in the living room, and he kept a gun on the kitchen counter. I yelled to my dad that some sickle was looking in the window at my brother. Just then I saw his whole face. It looked like a Neanderthal man with long brown hair, and it looked terrifying. His face was at the bottom of the window. I saw this massive chest and abdomen. It must have been nine feet tall. My dad burst out on the front porch with a gun in his hand, and he fired several times. He looked at my dad for a moment, then ran for the tree line. My dad then came in, and my mother and brother were crying because of the sound of the forty-four Magnum. 
My parents told me to go to bed and to take my brother with me. I overheard my parents talking. They didn't call the cops because they didn't know what it was. It was not human. My mother told my father tomorrow I want all the trees gone. Not a single one taller than you can stay. He reluctantly agreed. He called in every friend and every favor and had seven acres removed by sundown on Saturday. I had two friends close in age. One lived a mile away and the other two miles away. The closest came down that Saturday morning and I asked him if he heard the gunshots the night before. I told him it was my dad. My mother came out and told me to stay out of the woods. She was going into town with my brother to buy curtains and blinds, which was something we really didn't need before. But since this happened, we put curtains up. After my mother pulled away, we got our friends, and I guess they basically pulled together their friends so they could go look. So we grabbed our guns and our machete. We knew the woods really well. We backtracked my yard and picked up on a trail. We spotted blood at the tree line. My father was washing away blood from the side of the mobile home, and so we went back into the woods following the blood. As we walked, we came across a crude shelter with the remains of what looked like trash. This thing was stealing trash and taking it to this little crude shelter. We followed the trails for hours. We heard a howl and a scream like no other we'd heard before. My father must have heard it and grabbed his buddies, and they raced into the woods with their guns in hand. They looked terrified when we finally crossed paths. He said they saw the blood trail and asked what we found. We told them about the shelter and we took them where we'd been. We had been so keen on following the trail we had never noticed the carcasses of deer and dogs high in the trees. My father chopped down the shelter and urinated all over it. One of his friends said that they had to mark to take back our land. It sounded crazy, but I looked up to this man, and he seemed to know what he was talking about. The six of us made a pact that it was a bear, and to never talk about it again. As we moved back to our house, we heard the howl again, and it was mad. It sounded closer this time. Our fathers told us to run. The three of them were side by side, firing at something. Of course, we didn't go far. Whatever it was died that afternoon. My dad told me to get a few shovels and be quick about it. We didn't want anyone to see a thing. I was the only one they let approach it, because I had already seen it through the window. We took turns digging the hole. It was a Bigfoot, nine feet or taller and so wide. I could not jump over it. It was a male. His face was all shot up, but its upper lip was five inches from the base of his nose to the opening. Its arms were as big as my dad's legs. His fingers were as wide as Coke cans. Its feet were longer than the barrel of my shotgun. We buried it and left for my house. Our mothers were waiting for us and frantically asked what it was. We said that it was a bear, and it was injured, so we put it down and buried it. We didn't want to get in trouble with the game warden. That's what we told him, and I think my mother knew the truth, but it was best not said. Back in 1993, my mom, older sister, and I were at the public storage in Hoffman Estates, Illinois, putting some things into storage. It was in the evening, but it was pretty lit up at the facility. Behind the storage was a big wooded area. There we saw a white grayish creature staring at us. We were shaken with fear. 
It was across the field, so it was a little of a distance away. But even though it was that far away, it was tall and manlike. My sister screamed so loud after her initial shock wore off. And this thing turned around and leaped over the fence and landed on the other side on two feet and then ran into the woods. This fence was about six, eight feet high at least, so we knew this thing was not human. It was pretty scary. We told everyone about it. People joked, of course, but to us, it was no laughing matter. It scared us so much that my mom had the movers move all of my sister's stuff out of that storage. We were convinced that we saw some sort of Bigfoot. It was the weekend before Thanksgiving, and Lee was camping in the Ozark National Forest in Arkansas, trying to get a deer for Thanksgiving in the freezer. It was an annual tradition for Lee to venture into the same woods he hunted with his dad every year before he died. These woods were where his dad taught him to leave no trace, to respect the sacred place, and to always give thanks when it gave up its gifts. Going without his dad this year didn't feel right, but his wife encouraged him to keep the tradition. Lee finished up his sandwich, cleaned up camp, grabbed his gear, and started walking into the woods. The leaves crunched under his feet, and the sweet smell of forest decay and moist dirt was in the air. Reaching his favorite clearing alongside a creek didn't take too long. He set his pack down and started checking the game trails leading to the clearing from the forest, deciding which way he would go next. Once he made up his mind, he returned to his pack, pulled out an apple, and left it on the rock in the center of the clearing before heading down the game trail. He remembered the first time he went hunting with his dad and saw him leave a pile of apples. It was always Arkansas black apples from their tree back at home. His dad told him that when the forest gives you a gift, it's only fitting to leave a gift as well. It felt mystical as a child, but now that Lee was a grown man, he believed that apples were like his dad's lucky pair of hunting underwear. His dad was very successful hunting deer and always seemed to show up near. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. So he decided to keep the tradition, at least the apple part. His dad took his lucky underwear to the grave. Lee started chuckling as he walked along the creek when he recalled the horrified look on the mortician's face when he handed her the lucky underwear. They were patched with many pieces of fabric over the years, often flowery remnants of his sister's dresses. His dad may have been a mountain man, but he was buried with roses on his rear end. His chuckle had turned to a laugh when suddenly a red fox ran past him and a rock landed on the ground, in front of him rolling forward on the ground. He gripped his rifle tighter as he turned around to confront whoever threw the rock. He couldn't see anyone nearby, so he lifted his rifle to his shoulder and started looking in the direction the rock had come from through his scope. Near the entrance to the clearing, partially behind the large oak, was a large figure, a little scared, but mostly angry, Lee yelled, hey, at the figure. 
the figure stepped out from behind the tree, and Lee realized what he was looking at. In his sight was a creature standing on two legs covered in shaggy brown hair. It was clearly a male and had broad, massive shoulders that led to a head with tiny neck in between. He could see the creature's eyes blinking through the scope. He was sure he wasn't looking at a human, but he still asks, Why'd you do that? The creature bellowed a strange roar, louder and different than any noise he had ever heard in these woods before. Lee's hands were shaking as he watched the creature through his scope. The thought came to his mind, this is your chance. He tried to be a good provider for his family, but there was usually more month left than paycheck. If he shot this creature, he was guaranteed a payday. There had even been a TV show offering a huge bounty for just a little proof. A body would be worth more. They could replace his wife's death trap of a car, college savings for the kids, and fewer trips to the thrift store. Just one shot, and they would finally have their heads above water. His father's reminders about only taking what you need whisper in his mind. Lee took a deep breath, whispered, I need this aim center mass, and pulled the trigger. The creature grunted and screamed as it grabbed at its side. He could see the blood dripping between its fingers as it turned and ran. The creature wasn't running very fast, but it maintained its distance from Lee. It crossed over a river and climbed up the limestone cliff running along the river, climbing into the mouth of a bluff shelter. Lee knew he would be at a disadvantage if he tried to climb up to the bluff shelter, but he couldn't see into the shelter from his location on the ground. He backed up and watched the creature in the shelter through his scope. It was too far away to take a second shot, so he stayed there observing the creature's actions. Lee could see the creature leaning against the side of the shelter, taking deep breaths. If the creature died there, the body would be safe. He had been watching for about ten minutes through his scope when he noticed a gray figure at the creature's side. He could see gray arms moving as the wounded creature was gesturing toward the wound area. The gray figure put its hand down on the wound and the creature screamed in pain. Lee felt a twinge of guilt, feeling sorry for the pain the wounded creature was suffering. Oh God, why didn't I get a clean shot? he thought. The wounded creature sat down and put its back against the shelter wall. From the opposite side of the shelter, he saw another dark figure approach the wounded creature and fall to its knees. It rested its hands on the wounded one's legs. Its lips moved as if talking. It stood back up and turned around as a small figure ran up to it. It leaned down to pick up the smaller figure, and Lee could see pendulous breasts hanging. He realized this was a female, a mother. Lee lowered his gun, trembling with the realization of what he had done. I shot the father. I may have killed this little one's father. Guilt washed over him. He would never do anything illegal to help his family financially, but he couldn't shake the feeling that what he had done was akin to murder. This mother was picking up her child just like his wife picked up theirs. This mother appeared concerned about the wounded creature just like his wife would be. If they had no shaggy hair, someone might even confuse them with humans. I am a murderer. What was I thinking? He dropped to his knees. Lee looked back up through his scope and saw the wounded one standing up again. A mass of leaves where the wound was. The mother was cradling the young one's head on her shoulder. Both were looking down at him. Emotions overwhelmed him as tears ran down his face. He knew his dad was looking down on him, too. He set his gun down and put his face in his hands. 
he was no better of a man than a poacher. He cried until the tears wouldn't come any more, then stood up. When he looked up at the bluff shelter, there was nothing there. He lifted his rifle back up and looked through the scope. Nothing. He scanned the rest of the area along the limestone cliff and river, but the family was gone. He lowered his gun and turned away, walking back the way he came. He knew he had made one of the biggest mistakes of his life, but he also couldn't shake the idea that this was just a bad dream. He walked back to the clearing where he had left the apple on the rock. Even from the clearing, he could see the white flesh exposed against the deep red skin of the apple. A single bite was missing, and there was a trail of blood near the rock. He walked out of the woods, sick knowing that what had happened was real. Lee would return to these woods every year, unarmed with a pile of Arkansas black apples and an apology. Wildlife would dart through the clearing past him, but he refused to hunt at this location any more. He had violated the trust his dad had built, and he wanted to build it back for his own kids. Lee didn't know for certain if his dad knew about these creatures existing, but Lee had a feeling he did. His dad's patchwork, flowery lucky underwear, would always be a mystery, but he finally understood the importance of his dad's gift of apples. One night, years ago, I was hanging out with my now ex-boyfriend. It was either November or December of 2019. We decided that night that we wanted to look at the stars. It was very cold out and probably around one arm, but that didn't ever stop us from going outside. We put on extra layers, grabbed a blanket, and laid out to look at the stars. Most of the night we were having fun, laughing, and talking. There was one point where our conversation got very serious. He started explaining to me that he didn't believe in God, or anything at all. He believes nothing will happen when we die. My response to that was, I respect his beliefs, but I believe in God. I know something will happen when we die. I've witnessed too many spiritual things in my life not to believe. I've always had a knowing that something more is out there. His only response was once he sees something, he'll believe it. We were quiet for a while after that, but eventually continued talking about other things and having fun. That's when I saw something in the sky. What I saw was a massive pair of wings gliding directly above me. It was at least 18, 20 feet. I couldn't make out a head, legs, or tail. Just a massive pair of wings. It was dark and hard to see, but the wings had a subtle glow, just enough for me to see it. It almost looked see, through, but also glowing. It can't be for sure, though. It was a shocking thing to see. I wasn't necessarily horrified, but I was in complete awe. I didn't feel anything negative. My ex wasn't paying attention at first. I shouted at him to look up. When he did, he immediately started panicking. He was swearing and freaking out. The pair of wings wasn't there for long. It just flew above us, then above my house, and seemed to disappear or just fade into the darkness. As it was flying, it only flapped its wings once. So really, it was gliding. My ex grabbed me and insisted we go inside. He was horrified. We didn't get much sleep that night. Eventually, the next day after calming down, we decided we wanted to go out at night again and see if anything else happens. There was a lot more that happened. I won't get into too much detail about 
We saw strange UFOs and two big bright lights that appeared to be close to us, so bright that it was hard to see, that itself was very scary and unusual, but the strangest thing was the winged being thing. After this happened, my perspective of life changed completely. There is so much out there that we don't know about. Not that it's related, but weird things started happening around the world, too. Pandemic, Ukraine, Chinese spy balloon, and so much more. There is just so much happening. I have searched and talked to so many people to see if maybe they experienced something similar, but I can't find much information. I do believe that maybe what I saw was an angel, or it could be an interdenominational being. I'm not sure. I don't think I'll ever know for sure. I've accepted that. Again, as unbelievable as it sounds, this is something real that has happened to me and my ex-boyfriend. Backpacking has always been my way of connecting with nature, and my trip to New Hampshire was no different. The lush, verdant trails, the crisp mountain air, and the sense of tranquility that comes with being away from the city's hustle and bustle were all I needed for a perfect getaway. After a long day of hiking, my friends and I set up camp for the night. We had found a nice spot by a small stream, its soft gurgling the perfect lullaby for the cold night ahead. As the others started to set up the fire, I decided to wander off for a bit to answer nature's call. I moved away from the warm light of our fire, the cool, pine-scented air nipping at my cheeks. As I walked, my flashlight revealed an odd formation on the ground. It was a circle carefully etched into the earth. Surrounding it were tuning forks, standing erect like silent sentinels guarding a sacred site. The sight of it sent a chill down my spine. It looked like something straight out of a horror film, some eerie ritual circle. Unease seeped into my heart, turning my blood cold. I quickly finished my business and hurried back to the comfort and safety of our campfire. As I returned, I couldn't shake off the sense of unease. I kept glancing back over my shoulder, half, expecting to see something lurking in the shadows. That's when I saw it. In the distance, barely illuminated by the moonlight, was a tall figure. It was humanoid, but grotesquely thin, its body unnaturally elongated. It moved with an eerie grace, its antlered head swaying slightly with each step. Its eyes, glowing in the dark, were locked on to me. I felt my heart lurch in my chest, a windigo. The stories I'd heard as a child about this terrifying creature flooded my mind. Paralyzed by fear, I could only stare as it moved closer. Suddenly, a loud crack from the campfire brought me back to reality. I turned and bolted towards the safety of my friends, not daring to look back. As I neared the fire, the warmth and laughter of my friends felt like a distant reality. My friends noticed my ashen face and asked what was wrong. But how could I explain it? I just shook my head and tried to laugh it off. But the image of the Wendigo lurking in the shadows remained etched in my mind, a chilling reminder of the mysteries and dangers that lay hidden in the heart of the wilderness. In the deep heart of the forest, we hunters gathered around our campfire the warmth of the flames licking our faces as we exchanged stories. 
Some were stories of glory, of triumphant hunts, and epic battles with nature. Others were tales of terror and close calls that left us gasping for breath and grateful for another day alive. Then, without warning, our lights flickered and went out. The fire was the only source of light left, casting long, dancing shadows on our faces. The air was filled with a strange buzzing like a swarm of a thousand bees, and a chill ran down my spine. Then came a growl. It was not the growl of a bear or a wolf, but something far more sinister. It was an eerie guttural sound that made the hair on the back of my neck stand on end. A sense of dread washed over us, as palpable as the wave of putrid air that followed. The smell was nauseating like rotting flesh, and we could only stare at each other, wide-eyed and silent in the glow of the dwindling fire. Then the silence was shattered by a bone-chilling shriek. It echoed around us, bouncing off the trees and rocks, and I could feel my blood run cold. I squinted into the darkness, straining to see what was making these horrific sounds. Out of the corner of my eye, I, I saw movement at the edge of the firelight. Slowly, a figure emerged. It was tall, incredibly tall and pale, almost glowing in the flickering firelight. Its eyes were red and devoid of any mercy, staring at us with an intensity that made my heart pound in my chest. Its body looked twisted like a human frame that had been broken and haphazardly put back together. It was a sight that seemed to be torn straight out of a nightmare. Then everything went black. I woke up the next morning, the sun's rays filtering through the trees. The others were waking up around me, their faces pale and eyes wide with fear. We were all terrified in the sense of being watched, of being hunted lingered in the air. We all remembered the same thing, the creature, the growls, the shriek. It was a horrifying encounter that had seared itself into our memories, a night of terror that we would never forget. I was once canoeing the boundary waters between Minnesota and Canada. These aren't your normal backyard ponds. The boundary waters are thousands of enormous lakes interconnected with each other. Think many great lakes. We had been canoeing and camping along the lakes for about a week at this point. We didn't really have an itinerary, just planned to boat and camp, fish, and live off the land two weeks. We had a GPS and a sat phone to call a helicopter for pickup whenever we were done. Anyway, about a week in, and we were set to canoe a few hours to the next lake. An hour or so in, and we were in the center of an extremely long and narrow lake. Unfortunately, a storm started to blow in, and the waves on the lake swelled to two-plus feet. Too much for our dinky canoes. We pull off to a random clearing on the shore and set up camp in rush to avoid being totally thrashed by a rainstorm. We just set up camp and hunker down for the night. By the next morning, it had cleared up. We started walking up the coast of the lake, about 200 feet from our camp, looking for a good fishing spot. What we actually found was another campsite. However, it was absolutely wrecked. Trash strewn everywhere, tent collapsed and torn, clothes on the ground. At first, we were just like disgusted, like what assholes did this, or left their shit out to be bare food. The more we looked around, though, the weirder things seemed, though. 
For one, their garbage was still hoisted into a tree to keep it safe from bears, but the whole bag was ripped open, despite being 30 feet in the air. Second, literally everything except the canoes were still at the campsite. Clothes, packs, food, rope, pans, like a serious set of hiking equipment. Enough for two or three people. Half of it was trashed and torn open. Mostly the packs, tent, and clothes. The other half was totally untouched, but thrown on the ground. Like somebody noped the hell out of there and nothing but their long johns ditching hundreds of dollars of gear in the process. We waited a couple hours and eventually called it back to our helicopter crew, but they hadn't been aware of anybody else or gotten any distress calls. We eventually just left everything and moved camp. Everybody was pretty upset by it, and a day or two later we ended the whole trip early because it seemed like nobody wanted to be out anymore. It was the weirdest thing I'd ever seen. First thought was bear attack, but there was food left uneaten, and I've seen bear attacks on camps before, but nothing like this. Bears rip open packs and go after food and are generally pretty easy to scare away. What still sticks with me is while their clothes and packs were still there, with half being totally destroyed and half being untouched, I still don't get it. I've done a lot of other camping and hiking, rafting and biking all around the country, and I've never had any other weird experiences like that. Me and a buddy chose some national forest in Oregon, specifically for how remote it was. About a year prior, a family became lost, and the father was never found, although mother and child lived to tell the tale. Anyway, we set up camp around 4 p.m. after getting pretty deep into the woods on a mountain accessed by logging roads, maybe about 100, 200 yards from where we parked near a lake. Without much else to do, we started a fire and cracked some beers as the sun went down. Then pickup trucks started going through the woods, slowing down when they saw our campfire. We got curious and stupid via the beers and went deeper into the woods. Seemed like a halluva party was going on. Then we stumbled into a clearing where maybe 15, 20 dudes were hanging around a bonfire next to a mossy run-down camper trailer. One had a pistol on his hip. Another was just chilling with a shotgun. We're like, oh shit, at first, but someone approaches us and acts neighborly and invites us to have a beer, so it seemed okay. They were joking around mostly, some talking about drugs, coke, meth, but there were some older dudes that seemed pretty tense. As this happened, four or five dudes who seemed to be standing sentry at the camper, which didn't look like it had been moved in a long time, went inside for a few minutes. When they came back out, they said we were faggots and saw us making out. Pretty quickly, I got up to head back to our site, but my slower, drunker buddy took a few punches. Then he made it out and started following, and we were sprinting through the forest in the darkness just hoping to get back to our site by spotting the glowing embers of our burnt-out fire, the whole time with gun-toters in tow. We found our site, and with pretty much everything in the tent, we pulled the stakes to toss it in the trunk of our car. When we hear an enraged scream only about 50 yards from us, kill the faggots. So we were like a it, dropped the tent in gear without even saying a word to each other, and sprinted in the direction of the car. 
We peeled out and thought we were good. But about 30 seconds later, some headlights come up from behind us, and I'm like, if that's the truck that Shotgun Dude was chilling at. So now we're being pursued by crazy gun-toting rednecks with a superior vehicle in unfamiliar forest on unmaintained logging roads in the dark. And the only thing we can do is speed up. I remember looking at the speedometer as we approached a washed-out hairpin turn, and it was moving from 45 to 50 miles per hour, and the truck was tailing us pretty close, like by only a couple feet, and I was pretty sure that we were going to slide off the cliff and die. Somehow my drunk-ass buddy managed to power-slide that turn and get some distance between us and the tweakers, and we eventually made it to a paved two-lane, at which point the truck pulled off. We put it together later that the camper was a meth lab. Nothing else it really could have been, deep in the forest with armed guards and shit. But yeah, resulted in a drunken high-speed night chase on unfamiliar logging roads, and we nearly slid off the side of a mountain. One August... I ventured into the dense woods near the Three Sisters Wilderness with a rather unique friend of mine, Roy. You see, Roy claims to be a psychic who can communicate with Bigfoot. Yes, Bigfoot. He lives his life in a way that echoes the habits of this elusive creature and has had what he calls great success with it. His house, he once told me, was brimming with documentation. He didn't care for publicity or approval. He knew Bigfoot was real, and that was all that mattered to him. As we ventured deeper into the forest, Roy began to speak out loud to the air around us. He claimed he was communicating with Bigfoot, saying, He's a friend of mine. You can trust him. He's not going to hurt you. Referring to my presence. For fifteen minutes, Roy spoke, and with each pause, a series of chirps answered him from the dense foliage. Chirp, chirp. It echoed through the silent woods. According to Roy, the chirping sounded as though it were originating from some sort of cavity. While I stood there trying to wrap my mind around this peculiar conversation, Roy mentioned his friend Everett. Everett apparently serenades Bigfoot with songs on his guitar. I found myself wondering what sort of tunes Bigfoot prefers. Once we returned to our old-style ranch pickup, Roy was astounded by the plethora of footprints surrounding it. His only response to my obvious shock was a smug, I told you they were here. Despite his claim of communication, Roy never saw Bigfoot that day. We explored further and discovered a large area where the trees were entirely stripped of their bark and leaves. It was an eerie sight. Roy didn't know what kind of trees they were, but he theorized that Bigfoot had stripped and eaten all the bark and leaves. As evidence, he showed me a patch of young cedar trees near what he called Bigfoot Mountain, where the bark had been similarly stripped away. Even though I never witnessed Bigfoot myself, that peculiar adventure with Roy in the woods was something I will never forget. It made me question what I thought I knew about the world and opened my mind to the mysteries that might still be hiding in the depths of our forest. At our lease, we are fortunate enough to have an old house that we have cleaned up and live in. It is extremely old and was owned by the rancher that used to own the property. 
When we originally started cleaning it out, it had been vacant for years. Animals had gotten inside and tore the place up. Holes in the walls, floors, etc. We boarded up the walls, and other holes closed and permanently locked old closets. My dad and I sleep in one room, and uncle in an adjacent room, and my other uncle in a trailer outside. About 11 p.m. on 11.5.11, my bed starts moving back and forth with me in it. I thought it was my dad shaking my bed, playing a joke on me, because that's just his nature. I said, Dad, stop. It was obvious he wasn't doing anything and was asleep. My bed literally rocked back and forth with me in it for almost a minute, and all I could think about was the scene in Paranormal Activity, where the demon grabs and pulls the woman out of the bed. I knew that was about to happen to me any second. Then lights started shining in our window, and I heard doors open and shut, pans clinking together in the kitchen, and thought, I'm about to die. Eventually it all stopped, and I went to bed. The next morning after the hunt, we all were talking, and I asked everyone if they heard or felt anything last night. Everyone did, which freaked me out. Well, it turns out that was the night of the first earthquake in Oklahoma, and we hunt in the panhandle of Texas. That's why the bed was shaking and the pans rattling. The doors opening and light shining was my uncle getting out of his trailer because he thought we were playing a joke on him and rocking his trailer back and forth. We all had a good laugh when we realized what had actually happened. Look, it all started out when my brother and his friends went down the hill playing in an old stagecoach house. Shortly after that funny thing started happening, like stuff being moved around my mom's little trinkets, especially being moved around, for example, an old perfume bottle with an air-squirt pocket deal with tassels on it. Then one evening, my brother was doing his homework in the living room, and the hutch doors with wood latches, like on a deer-blind window, moved on their own and the doors opened and then slammed back. Then he heard what sounded like running up the stairs. He freaked out and told my mom he was not staying in that house. He was basically crying. He was so scared she told him to calm down. It was nothing but she was scared herself. Two nights later, my brother, which was 14 at the time, woke up and there was a young girl bellied up to his bed, watching him sleep. He tucked his head under the covers and stayed awake till the sun came up. A night or two went by, and he was in his room. He heard his clothes hangers clanking around in his closet. He ran downstairs, told my mom what happened. They both stood at the bottom of the stairs and yelled, Can you please leave Cooper alone? You are scaring him. He can't even stay in his own room. You need to leave. At that moment, his door slammed shut, which really freaked my mom out. My brother said, Screw this. He stormed up there and said, I'm not scared. Look. I'm getting my shoot gun out, and I will blow your head off if you come out again. His gun was in his gun cabinet in his room, which had a key lock and left the gun by his bed. For a few weeks, nothing happened, so he went to pull his gun cabinet keys out to put his gun away, and they were not in his nightstand or anywhere else. So months go by, and it's just little things that are happening. One day, my mom was cleaning my brother's closet out, and underneath a bunch of crap was a suitcase that hadn't been used. In about a year, she picked it up and heard something. She opened it, and it was his keys to the cabinet. We're guessing it put it in there after getting scared. 
A few nights later, she showed up again in the corner of my brother's room. He freaked out, ran downstairs, woke my mom up, and she remembers it being 3.12 a.m. He slept with her the rest of the night. I come home from college a few weeks later knowing about none of this. A few mornings go by, and my mom always asks, How did you sleep last night? Every miming, it was always gray. It feels good to sleep in my old bed, but it's so weird I keep waking up at 3.12 a.m. every single night. Still, she says nothing about the stuff that has happened. Walking around the house alone, I felt weird and taking a shower. I, I felt like someone was watching me. I had never felt that before. Well, one night I was at the house by myself and heard what sounded like someone jumping on the bed upstairs. I yelled, hey, and the door slammed. I got my keys and hauled down the road to my friend's mom's house. I'm getting goosebumps just telling this story. Well, I confront my mom, and she spills the beans about what is going on. A few nights later, I come home from partying with my friends, and there is NMA come from the oven, and a cast iron pot was on fire. The funny thing about it was that oven was only used to store pots and pans. The oven didn't work. It was an older antique oven. My mom woke yelling, what are you doing? And she realizes it would be impossible for me to light that oven. I was freaked out bad. Really didn't want to stay there anymore, but I did. Well, my mom got a hold of a paranormal person in Virginia and told him the stories. Told him where we lived. He did some research and got back with us and faxed a pic of a little girl that was 11 that died of smallpox in the stagecoach house. And before showing my brother, have him describe her. Well, he described her to a T.A.T. The paranormal guy said that when my brother and his grind went down to the house, they might have woke her spirit, and since they were around the same age, she just wanted to play and followed my brother back to the house. And she would not hurt him. She wanted to play jokes and stuff. After that, my brother wasn't as scared. He would just tell her to leave him alone, but would leave little trinkets out for her to play with. And they would always get moved around, but nothing else dramatic happened with the little girl. I left quite a bit out, but if I typed all of it, my fingers would fall off. The house burning down is another story. Hope y'all enjoyed.